This music is called Cold Rain. That's going to put me to sleep. Alright, so the 12 pair of cranial nerves. What's the first pair? Olfactory. What do your olfactory nerves control? Huh? Smell. That is correct. What's the second pair? Your optic nerve. Optic. What do they control? What you see. What you see. Third pair. Ocular motor. Oculo motor. <coughs> All right. What does it control? Huh? The way your eye moves. But what else is a third pair of cranial nerves controlled that is, pertains to the eyes? Upper eyelid. Upper eyelid. What else? Your pupils. Your pupils. How your pupils constrict and dilate. So you know without a shadow of a doubt, if you've got a patient that's sustained a blow to the head, or maybe they've popped a vessel in the cranial vault or whatever, something's causing intracranial pressure, you know for a fact Pressure is building when you see unequal pupils, right? Because pressure is being exerted on the third pair of cranial nerves and it's malfunctioning because of pressure. Pressure inside the cranial vault makes things go haywire. So, next time you see unequal pupils, you know what's being pushed on. Third pair of cranial nerves. Okay. What's the fourth one? Huh? Trochlear. I spell it. T R O C H L E A R. What does the trochlear nerves cover or control? Muscle of the eye wall. Huh? Oblique muscle of the eye wall. Okay, the oblique muscle of the eye wall. What about the fifth pair? Huh? <laughs> spell it. T R I? Correct. T R I G E M I N A L. T E M I A L. I M A L. Mike, India, November, Alpha, Lima. M I N A L. Trigeminal. What do they control? Anybody? Huh? Okay. Hey, how many of y'all got fireplaces or wood burning stoves or anything like that in your house? Don't put your ash bucket on the back porch. Turns out it'll catch your house on fire. Yes, sir. All right. Six. Abductors. What do they control? Movement of the lateral rectus muscle and humans. I would be eye movement, right? All right, seven. Facial. Huh? Facial. So what is it control? Expressions. Facial expression. Eight. Anybody? Acoustic. Acoustic or what? Sarah Ann, spell it for me. V-E-S-V-E-S-T-I-B-T-I-B-U-L-O-U-L-O-C-O-C-H-L-E-S. 
H L E A R. A R. That one. What does it cover? The control. Auditory, sensory, control from inner ear to brain. Number nine. Glossopharyngeal. I might have misspelled that slightly, but glossopharyngeal. The ninth pair of cranial nerves in conjunction with the hyoid, hyoid bone allows you to do what? Swallow. Tenth pair. What does the vagus nerves do? Controls a lot of to do with heart rate and things of that nature, right? How many of y'all have ever ran calls or have you ever heard of people going into cardiac arrest in the bathroom, especially older men? Happens quite frequently, don't it? Why? They are they bageled out, but what happened really? Your vagus nerve runs all the way from your brainstem all the way down. Right behind the esophagus on down and, and they're sitting on the potty, you know, this ain't a joke, and they bear down really hard, right? Because they're constipated or what have you. It pushes that esophagus against the vagus nerves, which controls heart rate, and heart rate plummets down to nothing, they go into cardiac arrest. Yeah. That's, yeah well, you're assuming good. Elvis is dead now, all right? So he, he's hanging out at Area 51, right? All right, the 11th pair. Spinal accessory. Spell it, buddy. Spinal. Oh, spinal. Okay. Yes, sir. Accessory. So what does it do? Supplies the sternocleidomastoid and trapezius muscles. In the 12th pair? I don't know. Last two I'm sorry, Matt. What is it? Hypoglossal. Hypoglossal. Glossal. Yes, sir. What does it do? Controls tongue and throat. Listen. You need to know these. And I know there's some long, weird words in here. Commit yourself to learning them, just like learning those lab values we talked about a minute ago, and it's going to pay off for you. All right. And if you didn't have it, does everybody have that written down? Did you find it in the book and at least highlighted it or something like that? We good? Y'all got to talk to me now. We good? All right. I don't know if any of us from your first class had yeah, there's um, there's also a, a, a diagram that um, Mac, um, you, you say you have it. Yeah. We're gonna make some copies of it. A good way to remember. There's a drawing of a face with with numbers, and it tells you which cranial nerve controls what part of the face or the throat or whatever. I'm gonna make some copies of this. Raise your hand if you don't have this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Miss Davis, you know you got this already, don't you? I can't see. Right. Now, how do you know? You still get up. I'm 
All right, the eye, the eyeball. Um, the eyeball is called the globe, okay? Uh, what comprises the eye socket? What different bones comprise the eye socket that we talked about probably last class? The top of the zygomas, right, your cheekbones. Then the bottom of your frontal, right? And what's over here on the side? The temporal, okay? So if something is a... And what do we call, I guess, the eye socket? What's the, the medical term for the eye socket? Orbit, right? O-R-B-I-T. So if something goes around the orbit, what's periorbital, right? Periorbital. Uh, conjunctiva covers the inner surface of the eyelids and exposed surface of the eyeball itself. What, the conjunctiva, like if you look underneath your own eyelid in the mirror or look underneath somebody else's eyelid, it should be what color normally? Pink. pink. Now, when they talk about our skin, you know, they say warm and pink. I ain't seen a pink person yet, all right? I just ain't. We're either very, very, very pale white or very, very, very black or somewhere in the middle, but I ain't seen no damn pink person. But underneath your eyelid, it's pink, right? But if you look underneath that eyelid, that, that's, that's called conjunctiva, and it's not pink, what does that tell you about that patient if it's pale? Hypoxic, hypovolemic, they're not perfusing properly for some reason, right? Whatever the case may be, and there's a bunch of different reasons why they don't perfuse, but they're not perfusing. They're not getting oxygenated blood to all the places they need to. All right? Um, so just keep that in mind. The conjunctiva covers the inner surface of the eyelids and exposed surface of the eye itself. I already said that. Behind the iris is the lens. What is the iris to begin with? We should probably talk about that. What's the iris of the eye? What's the color? Is that the coloring of the eye? Okay. Alright. The lens focuses images on the retina. What part of the brain controls vision and the ability to see? Is it the frontal lobe, the parietals, temporals, or is it let's see, our simple one in the back, right? Uh, man, they, they left out a lot there, didn't they? All right, let me ask you, what uh, what gives the eyeball its shape? You have two chambers. Now, you, obviously, you have the, the cornea, the lens. You've got your pupil, which kind of, which pair of cranial nerves controls your pupils? Number? Three. Third pair of cranial nerves? you fine. Um, where's the retina of the eye? Is that in the back of the eye? Because that's where your retinal nerve is, too, right? It, uh, you've heard of boxers and, and I guess people who sustain blows to the head. 
having a detached retina. What can they not do if that retina gets detached? Can't see. Can't see. Turns out it's kind of hard to do that, right? Yeah. Um, but what gives the globe or the eyeball itself its shape? Why is it round? Yes, there's two chambers. You have an anterior or ventral chamber, the chamber in the front, and then you've got a bigger, larger chamber in the back. You've got fluid, water, or liquid, uh, or the um, aqueous humor is what it's called, but you've got a liquid that fills that front chamber. The back chamber, which is larger, is filled with um, vitreous humor. It, it's, a, it's not a true liquid, but it's thicker than that. But if you get poked in the eye or something like that and, and, you, and your eye leaks this fluid out or, or this vitreous humor out as well, it ain't going to come back, right? It, once it's gone, it's gone. Uh, if you lose just a little bit of the aqueous humor, you, you probably be all right. But once you go to losing that, that, that fluid-like, or I'm, I'm struggling for the right word here. It's not a fluid, but it's not a paste, but it's like a gel, like a jelly-like stuff. You get to losing that, and then it's all fun and games if somebody gets poked in the eye, right? That's what your mama told you. The integumentary system, what all comprises, this says the skin, but what all makes up the integumentary system? What else other than the skin? Fingernails, Fingernails hair, hair, teeth, things of that nature. Okay. It is the largest system in the human body. The skin is the largest organ you have. Your skin is an organ. Okay. And, and as far as we're concerned, as far as assessment and the ability to assess uh, patients, what role does the skin play? A lot. Can you tell from across the room whether someone's perfusing properly or not? Yes. Absolutely. Because if they are not perfusing, what does the body do? Because the body compensates for everything. Because good Lord's smart. You don't have enough oxygenated blood or you can't get it all the places it needs to get it to. So the first thing it does is it releases what? Epinephrine. And epinephrine, amongst other things, like increasing heart rate, increasing respiratory rate, uh, causing them pupils to dilate. Another thing that it does is it closes those pre and post capillary sphincters in the periphery of the body. Skin's the first organ to lose blood if there's a problem. So if you look across the room and they're pale, cool, and diaphoretic, you know there's a problem. Because sick folks look sick without fail. Sick folks look sick. Y'all, Those of y'all that have already running calls, you know, you walk in the room, you know whether it's time to rock back on your heels or not, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bring them out. Get untrapped and bring him out. And once he comes out, if you raise your hand, if you need one of these, and he'll bring them to you. Give me one second. Uh, Your skin also serves as the interface between the body and the outside world. It has that protective quality. It keeps you safe from, I guess, foreign invaders. But what else does the skin do? It's in relationship to the outside world. It helps you maintain your core body temperature. 
the skin and the hypothalamus work together to do that. And what's that part of the brain where the hypothalamus is located? There's an area right above the brain stem that starts with a D, the diencephalon. All right. How many different layers of skin do you have in general? Now I know this is. I'm asking for general answers. I'm not looking for the like really microscopic answers here, whatever. But basically, you're looking at the uh, epidermis, the dermis, subcutaneous. Raise your hand if you need a copy. Hey, Kyle, bring the one, the original, and give it back to Mac, please. All right, so what does the epidermis do? What's the epidermis made up of? It's the top layer of your skin. It is the top layer because epi means... Beginning. No. Above, on top of. So what's the epidermis made up of then? What And what uh, functions specifically does the epidermis really do? Kind of your sensor. Okay. Is it? Yes. So the nerves are in the epidermis? There you go. So the so the dermal layer will kind of really you you're really feeling through the epidermis to the dermal layer because that's where the nerves are. Mm-hmm. But what is the epidermis made up of? I don't care if you look in your book. Sir? Okay. But those are older, deader type cells. That's where your moisture protection kind of kicks in too. Uh, the dermis, that's where your nerve endings are. That's where your hair follicles are, your erector pili muscle. What does that do when you get cold? Makes your hair stand up and creates what? Goosebumps or the little... And subcutaneous tissue is a fancy way of saying what? That's your fatty layer, okay? And then you have the muscle underneath that. The skin does protect the body from the environment. It helps regulate that core body temperature like we talked about. Uh, helps transport information to and from the brain. It also helps uh, actually with your... Um, Regulate your uh, fluid content, your moisture as well. And like I told you, the skin is a major organ for regulation of body temperature. But that does that in conjunction with what? The hypothalamus, which is located where? The diencephalon. See, the, the grown human animal learns a lot through repetition. The digestive system, anatomy, uh, stomach, intestines, mouth, salivary glands, the pharynx, esophagus, liver, gallbladder, pancreas, rectum, and anus. That's the anatomy. Now, what about the physiology? What does it What does it do? What's the purpose of the the uh, digestive system? Yeah. Yeah. 
Digestion is the pro processing of food that nourishes the individual cells of the body. Because all cells have to have that oxygen and that sugar. The abdomen is the second major body cavity. What's the first? Thorax. Thorax, yep. The abdomen contains major organs of digestion and excretion and it is divided into four quadrants. Now, what is, y'all heard me say a million times, I know, but all organs are encapsulated in some sort of membrane. What membrane encapsulates the contents of your abdomen? The peritoneum. So, if anything like, say, the kidneys, are, which are behind this membrane, it is described as being what? Retroperitoneal. Because the peritoneum is the membrane that holds all your, uh, your gut, right? The contents of your abdomen, the peritoneum. So if it's behind it, it's retroperitoneal. But now it says also that the uh, abdomen is divided into four quadrants. What is the center? The umbilicus. There you go. So if you're looking at the abdomen, and it's divided into four quadrants, that is your umbilicus. Belly button. So what's going to be about right here and right here? It's your iliac crest. That's your hip bones, okay? Or os coxae. But it comes straight across from the belly button. All right? Or umbilicus. Now, what do we call these quadrants? How are they labeled? All right. So, is, is it the patient's left or your left? Anatomical. Okay. So, this would be right upper quadrant. Left upper quadrant. Right lower quadrant. And then left lower quadrant. Now, and I'm still thinking, even for everybody, this is kind of review, okay? But still in all, if you're not 100% familiar with all this, you definitely need to write it down. So what is located in the right upper quadrant of your abdomen? All right, your liver. And why is it convenient that the gallbladder is right there, really laying on top of the liver. Because what does the liver produce? Bile. Bile. What does the gallbladder store? Bile. Bile. Okay? So it's good that they're right there together. What else is in the right upper quadrant? I'm going to put parts of small and large intestine. What else, or at least... Is at least partially in the right upper quadrant. Pancreas. Now, depending on what book you're reading, some books even describe the pancreas as being retroperitoneal. Whether it is or whether it isn't, or whether it's partially retro, I, I don't know, to be honest, but I know it's deep in your abdomen. Okay? So. Know this, if your pancreas gets damaged from, from trauma, it's going to be what type of trauma? Mm -hmm. Penetrating trauma because it has to be reached. It's deep. may even be retroperitoneal. 
Alright, so now looking at all these organs. Is the liver solid or hollow? Solid. Gallbladder. Hollow. Intestines. Pancreas. Solid. Why is it important to know whether they're solid or hollow? Because of the pain that they will produce, right? If a solid organ is injured, your patient will look at you and they can pinpoint that pain. They'll say, I hurt right here. Okay? If it's hollow, it's more of a diffuse or all over pain. They'll just, their whole abdomen will hurt. But they may or may not be able to say if they've injured their stomach or their intestines, they may not be able to say, I hurt right here. Now, if you see a big red welt across their stomach and they're hurting, well, it's not that hard to figure out where the injury is, right? But they may not be able to say, I hurt right here. That's called somatic pain, S-O-M-A-T-I-C. If it's all over, or it's called diffuse pain, and that's from hollow and solid organ injuries. Clear as mud? Do what? Yeah, parts of the colon in the right upper quadrant. Okay. All right. So, right lower quadrant. What's in this quadrant? Your appendix. And what else? Large intestine. Parts of small and large intestines. What else? That's it. Is the appendix solid or hollow? Hollow. You sure? Yes. Thing to know about the appendix, if it's in that right lower quadrant, but it's hollow, so will they always be able to say, I hurt right here? Everybody in the room write this down. If the appendix is the problem, a lot of times the pain will refer to the umbilicus. If they're pointing at their belly button and saying, man, it hurts, and maybe they're, maybe they're even running a little bit of a fever, they're warm to the touch, you need to always think appendix. If they're seeing their belly button's hurting, think appendix, unless there's something else that kind of takes it in another direction. But here's the great thing. In the field, working, and you're assessing a patient, do you really have to know for a fact that it's the appendix? No. You know they have abdominal pain. And you're going to treat all abdominal pain the same, right? Because we're not going to fix anything in the abdomen no matter what we do, right? We're going to support them. We're going to take care of them, make them as comfortable as we can. And we're going to get them to somebody that can fix them, right? All right, the left upper quadrant. What's there? Obviously, it's hollow. What else? Spleen. Spleen. Solid or hollow? Solid. What else? Parts of your small and large intestine. Parts of... Of does not start with an S, y'all. In case you're wondering. Parts of small and large intestines. And also, really, part the pancreas is going to come over in this area too, right? So I'm going to put that there as well. Left lower quadrant. All right. Also, somewhere in this book, there's a table that helps you identify 
pain in the abdominal quadrants and what might be causing that pain based on the location. Can somebody find that for me, please? All right, uh, continuing with the anatomy of the digestive system. Again, as you come down to the center of the body, right? How do, you know, just from a point of reference, what do we call that imaginary line that runs right down the middle of the body? Midline, it's a sagittal plane and some other names, but it's midline, right? And anything close to midline is said to be medial. Anything away from midline is said to be lateral. And again, I know all this is, is kind of reviewed. But if you're looking at it, the inferior vena cava, and that goes back up and dumps into the what? Right atrium of the heart. Okay. Then you've got the aorta that takes oxygenated blood down. And the aorta branches out from what part of the heart? Left foot. Ventricle, yeah. So the inferior vena cava uh, and the superior vena cava dumps into the right atrium. And then from the left ventricle, you've got um, uh, the aortic valve into the aorta, which goes up and it loops over and comes back down midline and branches down there around the pelvis. Okay? So you're looking at the adrenal glands. Where do the adrenal glands, where are they located? On top of the kidneys. On top of the kidneys. And... What's well, a very good way to remember that? Alright, so epinephrine, that's correct. Basically, what's the medical root word that means kidney? The adrenal gland is located where? On top of the kidneys. What's the medical prefix that means on top of? What do the adrenal glands secrete? Epinephrine. So you'll never forget it. I told you all the simple things that I had to work out in my mind so I could understand this stuff. But if I can do it, you can do it. So you got the adrenal glands on top of the kidneys, and the kidneys are located where? They are considered retroperitoneal, but what's that actual space where the ribs and the vertebral column meet called? Well, let's break that down too. What's the medical root word for ribs? Costo and the spinal column is also called the vertebrae or the vertebral column. So costo, vertebral angle, which is retroperitoneal in nature because it's behind the peritoneum. But it's in that specific location, the costovertebral angle. If registry gives you a scenario and someone's injured at the costovertebral angle, what's the first word that needs to pop in your head? Kidney. Kidney. They're pissing blood probably, all right? Just saying. So your kidneys, you got your uh, pancreas there. And uh, if it's injured, what type of trauma are we probably looking at? Penetrating trauma because it's deep. What does the pancreas do? Well, let me just ask you. Let me ask you like this: You've got alpha cells, and you have beta cells in your kidney. 
in your, uh, uh, not kidney, your um, pancreas. pancreas, thank you. What do alpha cells produce? Glucagon. And what do beta cells produce? Insulin. And the National Registry will ask you that when you take your advanced test. What's an easy way to remember which one does what? There's an A in glucagon, but there is no B in insulin. There's no B in hell either one of them. But there is an A in glucagon, so, so now you know, right? What specifically, what part of the pancreas are these alpha and beta cells located in that produces this glucagon and insulin? The islets of Langerhans. That's correct. Used to be Atlanta Brave with that last name, right? Langerhans, I think. I quit watching baseball after they won their last strike, so it don't matter to me. All right, so you're coming on down the duodenum. What's the duodenum or duodenum? It's part of your small intestines, right? It's that first, I guess, section of the three sections of your small intestines. Ureters run from the kidneys down to your urinary bladder, from your urinary bladder through the urethra, the where urine leaves the body. And then the aorta, like we've already talked about. All right. The mouth obviously consists of the lips, cheeks, gums, teeth, tongue, and the salivary glands. What do our salivary glands do for us? They begin the breaking down process of your food, also lubricates the esophagus. So, yes, sir. The say that again. The aorta is that where is that in respect to the esophagus? I'm, I'm as I'm saying, eighty percent sure it's kind of behind it. Eighty okay. percent sure because if you look, lop off the head, and you're looking straight down the neck, the most anterior thing is the trachea. But, but then it goes down. It remains anterior. It's going to be a little bit deeper, but it's not really, really deep because if they get a triple A and it bulges out, you can feel it, right? So it's not right under the skin, but I'm going to have to get back to you to give you a more technical answer, but I'm about 80% sure what I just said is right. Uh, the oropharynx. Y'all remember my backwoods way of explaining the oropharynx, right? Oro, you think in mouth, right? Pharynx is the back of the throat. So the back of the throat right behind the mouth is the oropharynx. And then the nasopharynx is the back of the throat right behind the nose. Uh, it is a tubular structure that extends vertically from the back of the mouth to the esophagus and trachea. And the esophagus is the collapsible tube that extends from the end of the pharynx to the stomach. Uh, and again, what are those wave-like constrictions that, that causes food to go down the esophagus? Peristalsis. Peristalsis is why we can do keg stands. 
and, and the beer gets to our stomach. So you'll never forget that now, right? Of course, I cannot endorse such behavior. The stomach receives food, obviously stores it, and then through the muscular contractions on the sides of the stomach kind of churns the food around with that uh, acid that's in your stomach that's really kind of similar to hydrochloric acid, but we call it pepsin in the stomach, okay? Uh, it kind of moves it around break, like an old washing machine, mixes it up and uh, converts the food to chyme. Then it passes through, uh, there's a valve that the chime passes through and enters the small intestines. I want somebody to look in the book and tell me the name of that valve. The pyloric valve. That's correct. P-Y-L-O-R-I-C, I believe. That is a P, by the way. Pyloric valve dumps from the, the chime, leaves the stomach, passes through the pyloric valve, and then enters the small intestines, and that first section of your small intestines is called the what? The duodenum. Now, what is different or unique about the duodenum that the other two segments of the small intestines don't necessarily have? That's correct. A very thick mucous membrane, and why is it important to have that extra layer of mucus right there on that section of your small intestines? The stomach acid, because as it comes through, without that acid, or if, if an infection, or stress, or whatever, or a combination of the two that might be working on your body, one of the first things it's going to do is it's going to reduce the thickness of that mucus layer in your duodenum. So then what's the stomach acid do to your intestines? Eats holes in it. What do we call those? Ulcers. Duodenal ulcers. Bleeding ulcers. That's where they happen. In the duodenum, because as that chime passes through the pyloric valve, if that mucus layer gets too thin, then that's when ulcers occur. And that's why if you have an ulcers, you'll hurt across both of your upper quadrants. Does that make sense? Okay. Also in the duodenum, it has to have that thick mucus layer too, not just because of the stomach acids, but the, the duodenum is the dumping off spot. For all the other digestive juices and processes. Where do you think the pancreas dumps its insulin? Into the duodenum. Where does the gallbladder dump its bile that helps you break down fatty foods? In the duodenum. That's where all that takes place. So it needs that layer of protection. Y'all tracking? All right. The pancreas lies below and behind the liver and stomach and behind the peritoneum. See, this right here says it's retroperitoneal then, right? And it produces insulin. It produces the glucagon. Which cells produce glucagon? Beta cells produce insulin. The liver... Did you get much blood flow in your liver? Yeah. Why? Because what does the liver do? Filters your blood, right? The liver can hold up to 40% of your total blood volume at any given time. The liver can hold up to 40% of your total blood volume at any given time. You act. Right? <laughs> 
Well, I know how boring Sarah is. No, it's not that. It's kind of... Yes. Yes, she said that. All right. So, if you lacerate your liver, or if you're doing, if you have incorrect hand placement, doing CPR, let's just say, and you got your hand a little too low, what's the lower third of the sternum called? Xiphoid process. And if you break that off, what lies right underneath? Your liver. So, if you got your hand too low and you break that and you lacerate the liver, is that kind of counterproductive to what you're trying to do? All right. Okay, Liver, poisonous substances produced by digestion are rendered harmless in the liver, and then the bile is stored where? In the gallbladder. All right. What's the medical root word for bile? Choli. C-H-O-L-E means bile. So if you have choli cystitis, and yes, I'm misspelling this, I know. Choli If you have choli cystitis, what's wrong? The gallbladder is inflamed because the gallbladder holds bile. You would think the colon swollen, right? Cholecystitis, but nope. Cholecystitis is the gallbladder. Oh, and listen to me. And write this down. If registry asks you about any problem or a, or a cause or a contributing factor to any problem associated with your digestive tract, whether it be esophageal varices, portal hypertension, Mallory Weiss, if you're talking about anything wrong with the digestive tract, what is a contributing factor always going to be? Long-term alcoholism. Anything breathing, usually you're looking at cigarette smoking, right? Digestive problems, a lot of times, pancreatitis, alcoholism. Cholecystitis has got something to do with alcoholism. Mallory Weiss, I mentioned that. What is Mallory Weiss syndrome? That's when the esophagus separates from the stomach. How bad could that be? I guess the alcohol just weakens the glue. I don't know. <laughs> That's a joke. But Mallory, why anything dealing with the digestive tract, long-term alcoholism helps you get there. Okay. It's good to know what's going to take me out one day. I guess. Uh, already said all that. Small intestine is the major hollow organ of the abdomen. Uh, where does the vast majority of absorption take place in the human body? Small intestines. Depending on what book you're reading, either 80% or 90% of total absorption takes place in the small intestines. So where would the other 20 or 10, depending on the book, take place? Large intestines, okay, or the colon. It is a major hollow organ of the abdomen composed of the duodenum, the jejunum, and the ileum. I-L-E-U-M. Because if we take that E out and replace it with an I, what would the ileum be then? One of the three bones of your pelvic ring, right? 
You got the ilium, the ischium, and the pubosynthesis that makes up your pelvic girdle. Uh, large intestines uh, consists of the cecum, the colon, and the rectum. Rectum. The cecum is uh, that most inferior part of the ascending colon. Basically, if you're looking at, I guess, the large intestines, and yeah, yeah, this is. I told y'all I'm a wonderful artist. This is the ascending colon, which would be the patient's right, right? So that means things are going that way, right? Ascending is going up. The most inferior portion of the ascending, ascending colon is the cecum. C-E-C-U-M. And what hangs right off of the cecum? The appendix. When you go look on your fire engine, that compartment that you can stand on the driver's side and open it up and look all the way through to the other side, what we call that compartment? Huh? That's the transverse compartment, right? It goes all the way across. So well, what do you think this segment of colon is called? It goes all the way across. It's your transverse. Yeah, I'm going through puberty. And then stuff goes down this side, so that's going to be called what? Descending. And what's at the end of the descending colon? The rectum and the anus. And how much absorption takes place in this question mark? 80. I tricked you, didn't I? It's 20 or 10. Because 80 or 90 takes place in all the small intestines that's right here. And that says the final 5 to 10% of digestive food and water uh, absorbs it anyhow. It's either going to be 80 or 90 in the small and what's left in the large, depending on... There you go. The appendix uh, may easily become obstructed and as a result be inflamed and infected. And the rectum is the large hollow organ that stores quantities of feces until it is expelled. Uh, and sphincter muscles are those circular muscles that kind of uh, control the escape of liquids, gases, and solids from your rectum, if you didn't know that. All right, we'll get started back. Uh, continuing with the physiology of the, of the digestive system, you know, the different things, and we've already covered a lot of this, but different things are basically added to the mix, if you will, to break the food down. And it's trying to break the food down to, to convert it into those uh, acids and uh, uh, proteins and energies that the body needs. Basic sugars, fatty acids, amino acids. All of these things are processed by the digestive. Uh, and, and just backing up, um, salivary glands secrete saliva, which, like we said earlier, begins the breaking down process, but also lubricates the esophagus. The liver, and in particular the gallbladder, secretes bile to help you break down fatty foods. Pancreas secretes insulin 
which is that through that facilitated diffusion is what's going to help the sugar get into the cells. All right. Uh, the endocrine system. What does the endocrine system control? Yes, it controls everything via or by secreting different hormones and things of that nature, right? Exocrine glands, endocrine glands. What's the difference? And you can look at exo and endo and probably come up with that answer. Outside and inside, right? Exocrine glands secrete chemicals for elimination. Might wind up producing urine, things of that nature, okay? Endocrine glands secrete or release chemicals that are used inside of the body. And what's the main thing that the, 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 the one of the endocrine glands secretes that we've kind of already talked about a little bit, but as it pertains to patient care and assessment, what's the main one or one of the main ones? Epinephrine, insulin, things of that nature. They're all, all hormone. All right, so let's looking at the different... Uh, endocrine glands. Hypothalamus. What does it help control? In conjunction with the skin. Core body temperature. There's some other things. Okay. What does your book say the pineal gland does? Google it on your phone. I don't care. I don't care how you get that. P-I-N-E-A-L. What? Making a joke, sir. Oh, okay. Jokes are okay. Not that one? Okay. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. Pineal gland is a small P-shaped gland in the brain that function isn't fully understood. Researchers do know that it produces and regulates some hormones, including melatonin. So we ain't got a clue, right? But it does produce melatonin. What does melatonin help us do? Sleep. Sleep. Pituitary gland, what is its major function? Growth. Uh, thyroid and parathyroid kind of go hand in hand. As a matter of fact, I think the parathyroid gland releases a hormone that helps the thyroid gland work. But what is the thyroid gland? What's the, the main thing it does? Metabolism, production of energy. All right, the adrenal glands, we've already said that it secretes what? <coughs> Epinephrine. Pancreas secretes what? Insulin and glucagon. And then you've got the ovaries and the testes. Ovaries, obviously, in the females. Testes in the males. Those are the gonads, right? And those are the reproductive uh, hormones. Which one is the quote-unquote, master gland. Why is it called the master gland? No? No idea? It releases the uh, hormones that say which 
chemical needs to be released within the body. The pituitary gland not only controls, obviously, the growth, but it secretes hormones that affects all of the other endocrine glands. So, therefore, it's the master gland. All right, a couple terms that you need to know if you don't already. An agonist and an antagonist. An agonist is a molecule that binds to a cell's receptors and triggers a response by that cell. In English, you can say an agonist makes something happen. An agonist makes something happen. So... If, like, let's just say albuterol, that is a beta agonist. So what do you think it does? It causes those beta effects. And with the bronchial tree, you're looking at dilation, right? So you can breathe better. An antagonist is a molecule that binds to a cell's receptor and blocks the action of an agonist. So an antagonist prevents something from happening, right? An agonist causes something, an antagonist gets in the way or causes problems or stops something from happening, right? So, um, so can anybody think of a, a medication that's very, very, very popular now that is considered an antagonist? Narcan. Narcan, that's right. It is a narcotic antagonist. It prevents the effects of the narcotic. And look at there. Thyroid gland. I think we kind of talked about these, but I'll run through them real quick. Pituitary gland is often referred to as the master gland because it kind of affects and regulates all the other glands. Hypothalamus regulates the function of the pituitary gland. That kind of helps regulate, I guess you could say. Thyroid gland, large gland at the base of the neck. It not only helps with the metabolism, which isn't, isn't even mentioned here, but it secretes calcitonin as well, which helps maintain normal calcium levels in the blood. Pancreas organ of both the endocrine and digestive system. This wears two hats, right? Within each islets of Langerhans, you have alpha cells, beta cells, and then delta cells. That, that's new. That's new to the curriculum right there. Alpha cells uh, secrete glucagon. And how's that easy to remember? Because glucagon's got an A in it, right? Beta cells secrete insulin. And delta cells secrete Somatostatin. Somatostatin. Somebody look that up and tell us more about that because I don't know a bunch about that. Delta cells secrete somatostatin. Somebody tell us about it. What does it do? It's an inhibitor of a lot of other hormones. So it's kind of an antagonist then, right? Is that all the book really says or... So it, it, I don't know. 
You can stop talking, buddy, because you lost me already. <laughs> so, kind of like the brick pedal. Okay. But it's only in a nutshell. It basically it's going to stop the, the the pancreas from secreting the other two. I guess once you've had enough, it stops it. There you go. Adrenal glands, we've talked about, located on top of the kidneys, obviously. The inner portion of the adrenal gland, uh, the medulla, the adrenal of medulla, the adrenal medulla, and I'm going to make that as confusing as I can, the adrenal medulla produces the adrenaline and the norepinephrine. Epinephrine and norepinephrine are the chemical neurotransmitter that innervates what part of your nervous system? Two different parts. But the one we talked about, it's half of the autonomic. Sympathetic. It causes a sympathetic response. That's that fight or flight thing too. Reproductive glands and hormones, the gonads, obviously ovaries and women, testes and men. Testosterone is a major... Uh, Androgen manufactured by the testes, and then the female hormones are estrogen, progesterone, and HCG, or human chrono. Yeah. Gonadotropin. H. That's why they say HCG. What's the urinary system do for us? Eliminate waste, control body, or help regulate the, the fluid balances, and help control pH balance. Is it short-term pH? Long-term pH. There you go. And again, the kidneys. And where are the kidneys located? They are they are retroperitoneal, but they're located where? Costovertebral angle. That's right. Then you have the ureters that run from the kidneys to the urinary bladder, and then it passes through the urethra, uh, the prostate gland. Obviously, we're looking at male here, um, and then the um, urethra. Then it leaves the body. Genital system also controls reproductive processes. Hey, and I don't make the rules, but when we're looking at the pre-hospital medical environment or, or EMS in general, we're talking about reproductive systems, do we really have to know much about the male reproductive system? No. Why do we need to know about the female? Pregnancy, complications thereof, and childbirth. I don't make the rules. The male genitalia, except for the prostate gland and seminal vesicles, lie outside of the pelvic cavity. And if I needed to tell you that, you'd probably in trouble. Female genitalia, except for the clitoris and labia, are, are contained entirely within the pelvis. <coughs> yep, yeah. yeah, and that's a penis. 
Alright, the uh, female reproductive uh, ovaries, and we said the ovaries are the female gonads. And then what are these? The fallopian tubes. Are they really connected to the ovaries or there's a space in there? There's a space. There's a space. Alright, so, and then you have, what is this? The uterus. The uterus. You've got the fundus, F-U-N-D-U-S, which is the top of the uterus, is considered the fundus. And then, of course, uh, you've got the cervix at the bottom, and then you've got the body of the uterus. Much like the heart, each cell of the heart thinks it is the heart, each cell of the uterus thinks it is the uterus, too. And that, that, that'll come back in later. Ovaries produce sex hormones and oocytes. And that those are what the oocytes are what are released kind of from the ovary float through the fallopian tube. If the, the egg is going to be fertilized by the male <coughs> sperm, it's typically fertilized inside of the fallopian tube. And it adheres itself to the inside wall of the uterus. Typically. <laughs> Not all the time. No. During the menstrual cycle, the ovum matures. If fertilization occurs, it proceeds to the fallopian tubes of the uterus. If it does not occur, hormonal changes causes the remnants of the ovum to be sloughed off along with the uterine lining. And that sloughing off that comes like once a month, uh, each cell, like I said, thinks it is the uterus. And it will slough off or, or get rid of just a little, little bit of just a minuscule amount of blood. And then all of it collectively turns into the to the ladies of period. And then the unfertilized egg is gone. I think we talked about this the other day, but body cells, tissues, and organs require oxygen, sugar, other nutrients. And it, it also is dependent on removal of the waste and the byproducts. Oxygen is brought to the cells through the respiratory and circulatory systems. Digestive system takes food and breaks it down into glucose. And then, of course, the circulatory system takes all these things to all the individual cells and then eliminates the byproducts from the individual cells. How does... Uh, uh, carbon dioxide is produced in a cell in your big toe. How do you get rid of it? It has to go where? Back to the lungs, right? And then when we exhale through those pressure gradients that we talked about, then that's how it's kind of gotten rid of. Any questions?